Mm-hmm. Hey, this is Brendan Small from Death Clock, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. One, two, three, four. The Brutally Delicious Podcast. The Brutally Delicious Podcast. The Brutally Delicious Podcast. Hey, Brendan, how are you? I'm good. How you doing? Good. I haven't talked to you in, I think, probably like 10 years. It's been a while, huh? Yeah, how you doing? Yeah. I'm doing well. Good to see you. I'm yeah. glad to see you guys hitting on all cylinders again. It's pretty cool. There's a lot of stuff coming out with this project. Yeah, it's pretty bonkers. Had you uh, anticipated all this all at once, or is it was it coordinated that way, or did it just come about? Uh, yeah, you know what it was, it was, you know, it's funny. Um, we did a, we, we kind of, kind of, we came back in 2019 to do a one-off show. We got a call and they said, do you want to, do you want to do this adult swim show? Would you be interested in bringing death clock back? And I said, yeah. And I, and I kind of got the feeling that that show, um, was going to open the door to talks about kind of completing the show completing the the series with a movie and whatever i didn't know if it was gonna be a movie or what but i knew that there was something going on there so i i took it very seriously and i think that 2019 show landing it in the way that we did was crucial to the future of the project so so early 2020 um i you know i i get this offer from from the network to to make this feature and not just the feature uh death album four and negotiate inside of that is like a, a film score record too. And then, you know, naturally a tour. So all that stuff is kind of put together. And the question is, you know, it's going to be a good amount of work. I'm looking down the barrel of this and I go, yeah, that's right. going to be a good chunk of work. And it's a pretty good challenge. The feature particularly is something that I wanted to really take seriously and really treat like a movie and really surround myself with experts and really kind of put the thing together. So I knew that was, that was a real, a real challenge writing music is writing music and you know you catch as you can and you get lucky and uh, you just got to put yourself in a position of getting lucky and doing a lot of writing so one second um so yeah so uh so I knew that there's gonna be a lot of work and I knew that I had to get to work as soon as possible so just like when I first started with the show I first thing I do is get the guitar out and start start playing and start kind of letting it tell me what's going to happen. Death, death clock back in my head and let them start to tell me what's going on because that's kind of how it's been. I've never, I don't feel like I've made a lot of decisions with the show. I feel like death clocks always told me what they want to do. There's, I have to kind of just be a vessel for that. Is there more one particular member that tells you what to do than the others or? I think, you know, especially with this project, it was definitely Nathan was the loudest voice in the room and Nathan had a lot to say and I, and Nathan had a lot to say lyrically and to get into his mindset lyrically is a really fun place to be because we're like a writing team, you know, <laughs> he's got these moods and these ideas and I, I'm the one that has to go get the thesaurus out and like the medical dictionary and all that kind of stuff, you know, so um and then, and then, you know, it, it feels like, even though I'm completely alone in this studio for long, long hours, days, months by myself, just breathing the same air, losing my mind, um, it really feels like a collaborative between, you know, when Nathan shows up on the song finally, after all these rhythm guitars and drums are done, it really starts to feel like 
it starts to feel like what it needs to feel like mutated. Yes. Because this project goes a little heavier. It goes a little harder. Yes. It's a little bit more epic and mystical, but that's kind of, that's kind of what Nathan explosion wanted. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so is that where this whole thing starts? And I know you said you've got like three projects in one or, but what's the yeah. genesis of it? Just sitting down the guitar and channeling some guitar riffs. Is that how it starts? Um, I think th there's a, well, it has uh, this project. It, it, the way I think of what I do is that I'm a writer who happens to play or I'm a writer who happens to act. Um, but it's the writing that has to come first and the, and the general concept of the world. And I knew what the story was going to be. I knew how it had to end. I knew how it had to begin. And I knew kind of, I, I knew I had a lot of, I had a lot of, um, uh, particular notions that needed to be uh, it the, the way that I would put it is that we owed a lot to certain things in this project to tie up or to land you know mm -hmm. conceptually from episode one and episode two which I think are like the, the two kind of they're almost like two different pilots one of them takes place underwater and one of them kind of establishes the band the world and the tribunal Right. So, um, and and the concept, which is like episode one, is Death Clock. They go, you know, they play this one show. They're going to play one song. It's a coffee jingle. What happens is their six star chef gets exploded, and this show's about these five idiots, these five uh, children in man costumes, are going to be big boys and make their own dinner. And that's what the first <laughs> episode's about. And that's also the question of this whole show: Can they become big boys? You know, these lost boys, can they grow up at some point? And they're trying to do things on their own, even though they're grown ups. Even, though, but they're celebrities. So it's right. not their job to do anything. So this is a show about celebrityism that happens to be takes place in this world where metal rules over everything. But they're also and, super identifiable characters, right? I mean, you know, as growing up as a metalhead. Those guys, Swiss Guard, all those guys are super identifiable. And I'm sure you hear that from everybody. Yeah, everyone seems to find somebody in them. And, you know, to us, they were like, uh, minus, minus Nathan, who was like Corpse Grinder to me as like right. a movie star. Like, he's like, he takes the stage and he's, he's got it. He's got the it factor, sure. you know? You know, so he's so he's like a movie star to me, and I think okay, that that attitude is something I want to pull from. Not his personality, because I didn't know his personality. I only knew what he brought to the stage and what he brought to the music. So there is that, and then and then the rest of the band is kind of sculpted out based on the amount of members. So what you were asking earlier, does it start with the guitar? In this case, it did. It started with a concept, and then it moves immediately to guitar, trying to discern what Death Clock was going to sound like. And so in kind of trying to discover who they are, I'm noticing that I am really interested personally in twin guitar solos and harmonies, you know, from like Iron Maiden from the world right. of Maiden to, to even Brian May from Queen, which I'm very influenced by. And I wanted to figure out how he built these gorgeous, you know, right. voice led groupings that are so powerful from flat for me being in the theater when I was a kid watching Flash Gordon to now. So right. something happened that day that I just can still can't shake and I'm still echoing it in this movie. So all that stuff happens first and I'm realizing, okay, this is the drummer and then bass player. Let's talk about bass. When I grew up and I was getting into metal, like my first records were Injustice for All. And you can't hear the bass. What does that do to a person? You know, so what is it if you can't if your instrument, if it seems like you can't be heard in the band. I think you're going to try to make up for it in your personality. And that's kind of what, um, and that's kind of like, you know, 
that's the idea. That so so we kind of sculpted out Murderface as this kind of naysaying person who's kind of trying to make up for the fact that he doesn't think he has a voice in this world. He doesn't think he has uh, he matters, you know, right. and therefore he makes up for it. If you those people that feel small act big. I remember reading that inside of like uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, the book. Right. And I was just thinking that's a, that's a thing. That's a good thing to kind of put on Murderface. So he's going to be this kind of tragic character throughout this piece. And we have to kind of figure him out and realize that um, what he really is and what he brings to this project. So that start, that conversation started in episode one. All these conversations started back then. Who Squiscar is, who Toki is, how they have this kind of brotherhood they're brothers too that's another thing is it's masculinity and it's and it's, and it's how we behave they're, they're a bunch of roommates they travel with each other that's what right. that's what bands are you know and it's kind of hard to get to know each other past a certain place so how do you need each other musically how do you need each other as a band all that stuff all those conversations are happening while i'm sitting there with a guitar <laughs> saying two guitars but what does this mean really so you like pulling your hair out doing this stuff no, in fact, it's it's really like if I'm if I'm at my best creatively, I'm just listening to the unconscious kind of like start twirling around, and I go, oh yeah, that and that. So I ask a bunch of questions and go to sleep, and hopefully, the more I try to you know throw a saddle on creativity, the more I kind of go ask a lot of questions and take it easy and right. let the answers start coming as you as you go on a walk. You okay. Know? So, so it's been like yeah. ten or eleven years since you released something. Um, yeah. What was the reason to be so heavy? Was it a natural progression between, I'm going to say, Nathan and you? Like, why is this record so much heavier? Did you consciously think about it, or did it just come out that way? It came out that way. Yeah, I I think naturally it was happening. Like I said, um, this record, uh, it's been 10 years. I don't think think if Death Clock came out with something that that sounded like old Death Clock, I don't know. I mean, I think whatever it is, there's the same DNA it just keeps mutating from uh, record one to record two. It sounds different from record two to record three. It sounds different. Then we did a rock opera and that sounds different. Then I put out records in between those and those sound different, you know? So, so something happens where it's like, if we're coming back, we're going to come back and punch everyone in the gut with the first track, you know, with aortic desecration. And that's part of it. But this record is also not just aggression and not just brutality there's a side that's mystical and a little bit more expansive and melodic. So the first side is aggressive. The second side is first side is like a fist punching. The other side is like a hand kind of open up like to like something bigger and more mystical. So, so that's what it is. And that's kind of the nature of the movie too. So those themes kind of end up getting leaked from the movie into the, the record at the same time. And again, I, I can't do anything to stop it there was a point where I, I was listening to this record and I go, I could try to put the brakes on this and make it kind of less heavy, but I, I don't think I can. I think the death clock has to take over and they have to say what they have to say. And it's just, it's really being deep in character and deep in world. And that's what these records have always been is a combination of comedy with delivered very straight, you know, very deadpan and aggressively versus epic and big like going to the water or you know like black fire upon us like those i know those songs end up sticking with fans too so and they stick with me and um and the question is how do you kind of like not do the exact same thing push the ball forward and at the same time it's a viking funeral for the project so go out big you know the number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The wrath of the
Buzzer. WMNS. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Were you surprised, and by no means am I knocking any of it, but were you surprised there was that much, there was going to be that much interest in Death Clock just so much later down the road? Um, you know, I'm, I guess I'm always surprised if anybody's ever interested in anything that I take part in. You know, seriously, I mean, because it's not a, it's not a foregone conclusion, especially in modern media where, like, streaming world, people, I have friends that make shows and they spend years on them and they get dropped off. It's almost like just dumping it into the ocean. No one sees it, you know, like yeah. it just kind of goes far away and you'd have to like be a private detective to find some of these shows, right. you know? So the fact that anybody knows this stuff, but I, it also was still kind of pre streaming. It's still kind of legacy TV. So, but when you're making a show like this, you're asking yourself, how do I keep an audience interested? How do I get inside of their head? Because it's almost like, going on a date, you know, if you go on a first date with someone you like, you want them to think about you a little bit before the next date. So how can we make, get something left in your head to make you think about us until the next week when we meet up? Right. And how do you just leave one little thing that kind of sticks inside of your brain, scrolling around in there somewhere in your dream or something like that, you know, like how, how do you make that happen? So I, again, that's, that's kind of what we're hoping for. The fact that it resonates and sticks around is is a wonderful luxury. But that's because fans are spreading the word. They're, they're, this is an audience that doesn't get spoken to. You're right. You know, and it's and, funny. I'm listening to you talk, and it seems like you're part psychologist as well as writer, musician, and everything else because you're trying to figure out how to do what you just said. You know, keep it in there in their heads even in your heads well i mean there's a lot of psychology that goes into being a performer to being a stand-up comedian you know like how do you um if it's if an audience is like not paying attention to comedians how do you and it's your turn to go on stage and everyone's fighting with the audience you see these shows sometimes i've, I've got to participate in them and then you're standing back going how do i change the tone of this room what's happening here why is this combative and how can you like subvert that and how can you start talking like we're we're all here to laugh and right. have fun, you know, and sometimes that works. And sometimes you get lost in the treachery of it too, but there is a lot of psychology, I think in writing and, and, uh, and building characters, all that stuff. Yeah. Like again, murder face is built off of a, a psychological notion that if you feel worthless, you act as if you have more power than you do, you know? So that idea and just observing people and, you know, friends or people I went to school with or whatever, that's how a lot of these people, uh, you know, that's how these voices were kind of sculpted out through bits and pieces of personalities or myself that I don't like, you know, that kind of get put together in some place. What's it going to be like hitting the road again? I know you've done a couple one-offs here and there, but hitting the road again yeah. for a real run, especially in this summer heat, what's that going to be like and how are you preparing for that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Good question. With the heat, I don't know. Maybe I'll just put a bed on stage and pass out in front of it. <laughs> but um, no, I, I the, doing a one-off I think is treacherous and we've done a couple of those and they're scary because you get one shot and you want to get it right and you want to give the audience the best show that you possibly can and and you want it and and this is kind of a luxury going on tour because you have an opportunity every single night to get it right and with this group of musicians that I'm playing with you feel pretty safe you feel like you're in a good place to to step out and to really kind of get up there and do it, you know? And so I'm looking forward to it. 
Uh, I just wish I were on the road already. I've got like you know, really? a couple of days of preparation. Yeah. Um, I know that we're going to get in and start rehearsing. And uh, it's just, I like this whole crew a lot. And, and again, consider, consider this here. I've been working for like three years on all the stuff that's coming out next week. It's going to be nice to get out of the house. <laughs> it's going to be nice to get off of the zoom calls and like go and participate right, in the, in the in world the dance of life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, the great musicians. I know we've had Nilly was just on the show a couple of weeks ago. I know she's excited to be playing on, on this tour as well. But I mean, and of course, you got Gene Hoagland. You've got the talent on this show. It's like unbelievable talent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the one thing that I've kind of consistently done is hung out with people that are smarter than me <laughs> and played with people that are better than me and written with people that know more than me and, you know, collaborate with people that are creatively more exciting than me and all that stuff. So that's what I try to do is just keep, keep, uh, keep a high bar around me so that, uh, it elevates my work. And there's some and, of the nicest uh, people I've ever met. I've, you know, I've talked to Gene many times. What a, what a nice guy. He's a super nice guy. Gene is a, he's a really well-rounded, um, musical entity, you know, from being just one of the great players to being thoughtful with, with, what he loves in music. So he and I will have conversations. He introduces me to cool music. And then we have a lot of different places where we get excited about the same kind of oddity that's way off the beaten path from heavy metal and uh, stuff that gets us, you know, this music is so personal and so exciting. And when you link up with someone who has some kind of similar ideological takes on it, it's really exciting. And, um, and then to be able to collaborate and to, you know, stroke our chins and kind of like, stand back at a song go yes no yes let's try something here okay you got an idea let's hear it so that's always what i'm saying to everyone that i collaborate with is it's kind of my job to bring an idea to the table and it's everybody else's job to beat it with something cooler collaborate with me jump into the you know jump into the water and, and hang out and let's let's see how far we can take some of this stuff and nice yeah so, so lastly cool. then i told uh i told uh andy i would keep it just to 20 minutes or so what is a death clock audience going to look like now, right? Because you're a decade out. It's going to be like multi-generational, right? With kids like people like myself bringing their kids to shows. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's funny. The last few ones that I saw, it was a pretty young crowd. And um, and maybe they stayed the same age and I got older. But uh, <laughs> it really felt like that. And I, I hope to see every Because I go out and see heavy metal shows all the time. And, and I think the age range is pretty vast. You know, like Iron Maiden, people bring their kids. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, you know, sometimes there's three generations, you know, of Iron Maiden fans out there, you know. So I think it's going to be, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know what to expect. The shows that I've done recently have been fairly young, and I think it's because people just keep on passing the stuff. And I think that's the beauty other. about this genre of music, right? It kind of gets, it's a rite of passage, and it gets passed down through generations for sure. Absolutely. And that's one of the important things about heavy metal. And that's kind of a role that Metalocalypse has taken, which is to kind of get people in interested in it, too. So I, I'm doing a lot of these interviews and I'm finding like some of these kids are like, you know, 22, 25 or like, you know, six years old or something when the show came out. And I, they watched it and it haunted their nightmares and they had to like figure it out and sort it out. And then they have long hair and tattoos now and they they're now heavy metal people where no one in their family family listen to heavy metal i only know about heavy metal because my friend down the street said come over to my house after school you want to see something cool they showed oh. me slayer and slayer was the first record 
it wasn't just, it wasn't the first one but it was it was it was like everything metallica it was you know right. it was like injustice for all was happening them was happening you know rust in peace was happening all those cool right. records. so many so many so many monumental heavy metal records were happening as i was kind of getting my eyes open to, to metal and again the guitar was happening too so right Vey, satriani steve Vai, steve morris marty friedman all the people john petrucci everyone that's yeah. kind of doing something on guitar i'm listening to them I'm a little bit older than you, I think. So my gateway was, uh, I remember clearly going into the record store and pick, seeing Diary of a Madman on the shelf and be like, oh, yeah. And I picked oh, it up. Yeah. I had no idea who it was. And then, you know, those first notes of Over the Mountain yeah. started the trajectory of, uh, you know, here we are. Exactly. You entered the darkness and you never looked back. Right. And you just keep looking for more. And it's insane. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's the thing. But had I not met my friend, I don't know where I'd be. I don't know what I'd be doing. I don't know if I would have like, whatever it is in my head, I don't know how I would have been. I don't know what I would have done, you know? So it, I'm thankful for my friend who, who I'm still very good friends with, who we still talk about guitar on the phone, you know, once a month, but I'm really grateful. And I think it's really nice to have that because it's not in the mainstream. You have to go hunt it down or you have to have it shown to you, you know? So, so that's kind of like, that's kind of the exciting thing to see that this long, out that people have somehow yeah it's it's taken you know uh, you know it's taken force and 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 influenced people's lives and but you and i know that music can do that stuff you know music's oh yeah an important mood enhancer you know yeah i mean it's everything for sure brendan thank you so much for your contributions to the metal world it's uh you got it man thank you yeah appreciate everything be thanks for well man yeah no worries hopefully i'll catch on to i think i'm gonna try and get over to the blue ridge Oh, yeah. Okay. That's about an hour and a half from me. So I'm going to probably head over there and maybe catch you guys. It's going to be a fun show. I think it's going to be worth the drive. Yeah. Um, We'll make sure it is. Excellent. Be safe on the road. Thank you for everything and be well. Thank you, man. Cheers, my friend. Bye. 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 This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.